The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Children, you can make your way to the children's church to my left. A wonderful time of teaching and singing together. The rest of you, if you'll make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. There's a note sheet that's provided. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the Pew Bible. If you're a visitor and, don't, and you don't have a Bible and you're, you don't yet own one, you can take that one to go with you. Uh, and you can enjoy it as well. Uh, it's our gift to you. I have a little Bible study guide I'd like to give you also to take with you. So if you look with me in 1 Corinthians 4 and verses 1 through 5, this is God's Word inspired and errant and infallible. By the way, let me just say we are obviously beginning our ministry theme, Lifestyle Stewardship, with a series of sermons in the month of January, in the morning, and in the evening is going to be eternity in biblical perspective. Eternity in biblical perspective. Actually, I'd already selected that before the Lord called a, another sister of mine home. And, uh, but um, it was been, it's been a blessing to me to have been studying in these, uh, on both of these subjects these last six months. And, um, and we'll begin that along with the installation and ordination of our officers tonight. What a glorious and wonderful time we'll have together in worship this evening at 6 o'clock. Look forward to being with you. Now, would you look with me at God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. That would be the judgment day. Before the Lord comes, that will be the time of the judgment day. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart that will happen on the judgment day. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. I had a, I had a week's vacation between, um, and I thank you for that, each year between Christ Sunday and, and then also the anticipation of, um, of um, our beginning of the year. Uh, but this year I knew where my time was going to be spent. It was going to be with my sister, who was very close to going home to be with the Lord. 
So um, when on my way there, I stopped by. One of the things we had to do was stop by our hometown, which I did. And while I was there, I decided um, I would take a picture of the house where my sister was born and take that to her uh, as she was approaching the Lord and, um, and to be with the Lord. She was fully ready to do so. And then, um, and then I went over to the house where we all grew up together because we moved from that house to another house. Um, mother and daddy got excited. They had me and Vicky, and then 11 years later, we had Beth and Amy. So the house didn't work anymore, and they had to get another one. So we moved to another house, and we were raised in that house. So I took a picture there, and I was going to take those to my sister uh, the next day. But while I was out there, I rode by one of the elementary schools I went to uh, as a kid, uh, Midwood. I was there in the fifth and sixth grade, and um, and I I saw cars. So I said, maybe they'll let me in. I haven't been in there about 60 years, so I wonder what it's like. I can't believe how these rooms have all shrunk. I mean, they're all so much smaller now. And uh, so I went in there, and there was a guy there, and uh, he asked me about why I was there, and I told him, and... Um, and then I went over to the where I was in the sixth grade and I stood at the door. And for some reason, it struck me. Uh, it was a moment when Libby, that was teacher's pet, uh, had come to that door standing where I was. And I remember her saying, the principal wants Ike Reader to come to her office. Unfortunately, that message had been delivered at other times as well. And so uh, I was on my way, figured, OK, I'm in trouble I was kind of cataloging which, what, what is it that I'm in trouble about. There were a number of possibilities. And uh, so as I went down there, I walked around the corner. And not only was there the, my principal, Miss Mason, but there was my dad. I, said, I'm, I just looked and said, well, I'm dead. Uh, he's probably got a bazooka behind his back about to shoot me with it. And uh, so I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then she said, well, Ike, you're not in trouble. Uh, your dad has come and we're going to release you. Here's your homework assignments for next week, next 10 days. You're going to go with your dad. And my dad was in the Southern League at that time. So he was he had a couple of stands in Asheville and Chattanooga. So I was going on. He said, son, come on. I'm going to take you on a road trip. I've never forgotten that. Uh, Ten days with my dad. Um Hotel Patton, uh, and um, and then at night I got to talk to Pete Rose and Tommy Helms and Johnny Bench and all these guys and baseball. So it was just it was a great time. It was a great road trip. Well, some of you uh, have remarked to me when I was out talking with you about the picture that's up for this year that you're going to see on our ministry theme, lifestyle stewardship. And you remarked to me about it. And uh, and you'll notice uh, Dave Balius and Matt Moore and myself and Bruce, we, we went through a lot of them. But we picked this one for a reason. This thing that we're doing this year, our ministry theme, Lifestyle Stewardship, is a journey. That's why the road. And it's an upward journey. That's why the mountain. And it's an exciting and, I believe, enjoyable journey. Don't let stewardship scare you. I know you're sitting there, uh-oh, 52 sermons on tithing. No, I promise you that's not it. Stewardship is a much bigger subject than this. Much bigger. Just like Bruce just gave that announcement of how y'all responded sacrificially. Folks, I hope you just kind of look around this congregation. Uh, 
thankfully growing diversity in many ways. Uh, and um, but one of the ways is it's just the unbelievable strata economically and socially in this congregation. There there just aren't anybody to write six figure checks. If you're here, I didn't mean to offend you. And uh, but uh, but they're just not. There's just God's people being faithful with where he's put them. And what he's done is praying about what God's going to do. And that's how that that you see people at moments like that kind of a challenge don't become something they're not. It's it, that moment is merely the next step of a lifestyle of stewardship. And it's more than finances. Much more than finances. And I'm not diminishing the fight because I understand why Jesus kept bringing us back to money. Because you can't love him and money. You can't love the two. And that money is what Satan loves to use. But what you've got to see, and I long to... Listen, I've been studying this six months. I've gotten convicted. I've gotten excited. I'm on this journey with you. I lo- This is a road trip for us. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to grow in understanding what it means to be a steward. In the text that's in front of you, the Apostle Paul identifies the fact that he's a servant and he identifies the fact that he's a steward. That's, he identifies both of those. And then he gives us something that I want you to remember that you see up there right now. He says, when all is said and done, as a steward, he wants to be found faithful. Where, where's he, what do you mean, found faithful? That is, God finds him faithful, even at the judgment seat. And there will come my commendation. He's not looking for commendation here. It's there, on that day, at the judgment, that he anticipates commendation. Now, there's an insight for you. God's people will appear before the judgment seat, but not for the issue of salvation. Because we're in the book of life. But you are there for the issue of stewardship. We are accountable for our stewardship. So let's understand it. What do we mean by this word stewardship? It is on the one hand an identity in our life. And on the other hand, it is a a vocation of our life. Now let's go to the matter of identity for just a minute. Now you got to get this. All right. Well, let me do this first. The word that you have translated steward and stewardship is oikonomos. Oikonomos is two Greek words that are put together. Oika is the Greek word for house. Nomos is the Greek word for rules or law. So oikonomos is house rules. My home, we had house rules growing up. My mother had a whole list of them. When do you take your shoes off? When can you wear your shoes in the house? Mop three times a day in the kitchen. Uh, what Bed made up before you... I mean, we had all of those. These were the basics. This is how you live in this house. God lives in his church. And here are the rules of the house. This is the culture that God wants developed where he dwells. And... If you're a Christian today, God dwells in you. You're his house. Personally, what are the rules of the house? What is it that God calls you to do? Now, listen to me. Not for salvation. He's already done that. 
but for him as your Lord and Savior. This is the life you live not to be saved. This is the life you live out of that adoration, allegiance, and growing affections for your Savior. So what does that stewardship look like? A steward. Can I show you some, one other thing? Oikonomos or oikonomia. You hear that word? We get a word from that. What word do we get from oikonomos or oikonomia? We get the word economy. That's transliterated into our language, economy. That is a life system. The economy of a nation, the economy of your home. It is the life system. So what we're looking at is not just one area. What do you do with your money? But what does it mean to live your life as a steward? What is the economy of a Christian? What is the lifestyle of a Christian? That's what we're going to spend time. Now, all the sermons in this year are not going to be because we're going to start into the book of Romans as well. And uh, because I think that is a wonderful book that ties into stewardship the way I tried to tie first Peter back into lifestyle evangelism and discipleship. When we went through that, we're going to do the book of Romans and I'm looking forward to that. But before we get there, I want some of these broad concepts as we topically expound particular texts to look at. And here's one here where the Apostle Paul says, I'm a steward. And what is it that's required of a steward? To be found faithful. Who is the one to give the verdict of whether you're faithful or not? The Lord. When will that verdict be given? At the judgment seat. Not your salvation, that's already been secured, but what about your stewardship in your sanctification as a believer? So that's where we are. Our identity, what is our identity? Let me get this point across. Our identity, if you're a Christian today, your identity is Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Christ is my life. Christ is your life. But when Christ is your identity, Christ gives you other identities for him. And let me give you five of them. That he he identifies you as a Christian. Number one is this. When Christ is your life and you're a Christian, you find out, you know what I am? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Now, praise God, I'm not under the dominion of sin anymore. Praise God, I'm, I'm eradicating the practice of sin in my life, but I'm still a sinner. I am a sinner who has been saved by the grace of God. Let me give you another identity mark. You're a saint. Well, wait a minute here. Am I a sinner or a saint? Answer. Yes. You're a sinner saved by grace and God's grace is greater than all of your sin. And you're a saint. You've been secured by God's grace. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. He has set you apart, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, filled with the spirit of God, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, forgiven and pardoned. Christ is yours. You are his. You belong to him. You've been set apart, a saint that belongs to him. You're not only a you're not only a sinner saved by grace. You're not only a saint secured by grace. But number three, you're a soldier for Christ. 
You've got a mission. He's, in, he's enlisted you in his army. You've got a, he has equipped you with the armor of Christ, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes. Uh, he's given you the sword of truth. He has equipped you with the armor of Christ. He has given you the divinely fashioned weapons to take down the strongholds of sin and idolatry so that you take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. You are now on mission on message and in ministry as a soldier of Christ into a spiritual warfare. Now, praise God, this war has already been won, but we got a lot of battles to fight for Jesus, for the souls and the hearts of men and women, boys and girls and our families and for nations. Number four, you're a servant of Christ. Now, that one is used time and time again. Now, most of the time it says that you are a servant, a doulos, a servant bound by love. That's, that was a doulos. And you were bound by love to your kurios, your Lord, your master. But there's a word, and I mentioned it to you back during the Advent season. There's one that's used at very special times. Six times. You are a servant of your master. And the Greek word is despotis. We get the word despot. Now, for us, that's a very negative word. But if I can transport you back to the first century, what despot was, was a unrivaled master. It was a master who had no rivals. It was a master who had no competition. That's what it meant to be an unrivaled master. That when Jesus saves us, he becomes our unrivaled master and out of love we serve him for the glory of his grace and then number five you're a steward now in the first century what was a steward a steward was an individual now follow me on this because this is going to feed in because we're going to get to a christian definition of stewardship but before we get there, let's look at what would have been the word steward, an oikonomos, an, oik, uh, an, an oikonomia. Uh, what is that person? What, what would they be in that day? Here's what they would be. They're an individual, an individual who has been appointed by someone to uh, oversee, supervise, um, use the resources that has been allocated to them to oversee them, to supervise them, to manage all the resources that had, and all of the responsibilities that were allocated by the master. The master on his own, on his own, um, uh, on his own decree decides what am I going to give to this steward? Now, what do I want this steward to do with it? So the master allocates the resources. The master directs the right use of them as, and therefore directs the steward to supervise it. Steward owned nothing. The steward managed. The steward supervised. The steward took care of. And use the resources allocated the way the master who allocated the resources has directed them to be used. That's the word in its general use in the first century. And Paul says, 
I'm a steward. And the steward wants to be found faithful at the day of judgment. That is our identity. We are stewards. Now, that is a secondary. Please, let me get back to this. My identity as a Christian. I mean, look, in God's sovereignty, I am an American. I am a pastor. I am Cindy's husband. Praise the Lord. I am. Um, I am. I've got three kids. I'm a father. I am now a grandfather of uh, ten. Thank you. Uh, I'm a grandfather of ten. Um, and praise the Lord. Uh, so I've got all of these sub identities, but I never think of any of them without first thinking of my my encompassing identity. I am a Christian husband, a Christian father, a Christian grandfather. I am Christ. Christ is mine. Now, do I do this perfectly? No, 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 no. But that's what I'm, that's where God's called me to think. And that's how God's called you to think. I am, you're, you're an employer. You're an employee. You've got, um, you're a citizen of a nation. But as Christians, we never modify Christian by one of those. We modify those by being a Christian. We are a Christian citizen, a Christian husband, a Christian father. That's what we are. And now I am a steward for Christ. What does it mean to do Christian stewardship? Come on the journey with me. It is an exciting, encompassing journey to find out the breadth, the height, the depth, and the length of Christian stewardship. And that's where we're headed. So what does that vocation look like? What does it mean to have a calling? Now, we've got multiple callings as Christians. I'm, ca I'm called to worship God. I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be an ambassador for Christ. I am called to be a discipler. I am called to be discipled. I have multiple callings in life. One of those callings, a key calling, is I am called to be a steward of everything God has allocated to me. And to use those things, supervise those things, and manage those things for him. Can I just make a side comment? I've been thinking through this a little bit. Of all of the callings that we have as Christians, worship, evangelism, all of them, they're all challenges in a fallen world. But I believe the two biggest challenges of our calling in Christ, the two biggest, is worship and stewardship. And here's the reason for both of them being a, being a challenge. We keep trying to make worship about us instead of him. What do I think of the sermon? What do I think of the song? What do I think of this? What do I think of that instead of was God pleased? Was God lifted up? Was he honored? The tendency and the default is even to take something so holy. You know, that's why Jesus saved you was to worship him. It's no accident that the woman at the well gets saved and gets the question answered about worship. It's no accident that the end of you know, you know what our purpose is in missions. That the praise of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That worship God-centered worship is why I was made 
why I was saved, and why I'm sustained in his providence. But the tendency is to make it about me. And the second thing is the same thing in stewardship. In stewardship, it's a duty that I have to accomplish instead of a life that I need to embrace. And I'm constantly thinking this way. What out of what do what am I going to give to God from what I own? That is not stewardship. Christian stewardship is not what do I give to God from what I own. Christian stewardship is I don't own anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just let me give you a couple of helps in this matter of Christian stewardship principles. Here's one. Christian stewardship is we own nothing. You'll never get to Christian stewardship if you think you own. I understand we're in a society where you got property titles and all of that. But in our mind, our perspective, here's what we know. Whatever it is that in the in this world system they say I own, I actually know I don't own anything. God God owns the house. God owns my job. God owns my bank account. God owns my calendar. God owns every moment of every day in my life. God owns that. And here's the second thing. The second thing is not only do I own nothing, I'm owned by Christ. I belong to him. Now, folks, this, listen, listen, please listen. Can I jump up and, no, I won't jump up and down. Listen, this is the key to lifestyle stewardship. If you get this wrong or reject it or set it aside, then forget Christian stewardship. You'll never embrace it. You may give a little something from time to time for this or that or the other, but you'll never know the joy of being a steward for Christ and what it means to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll never get there. These two are crucial. Now, because of that, is what I just said to you biblical or not? So I want to take just a moment and ask you to go to a passage of Scripture with me, two passages of Scripture, to set the nail on these two principles. I own nothing and Christ owns me. Is that biblical or not? Would you take your Bibles from 1 Corinthians 4, go over two chapters to 1 Corinthians 6. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six, slip down to verse nine. I'm sorry. What did I say? Yes, I'm sorry. Down to verse 19. Down to verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? God lives in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So what? Be a good steward. Glorify God in your body, in this existence, in this world. That's why I'm here. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Who am I glorifying? The one who bought me with his blood. The one who purchased me from the kingdom of darkness 
to the kingdom of light. The one who gave me forgiveness and eternal life in Christ. Can I just stop here? Do you know him? Are you bought with the blood? The soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Do you know what it means to be forgiven? To be made acceptable with the righteousness of Christ. If you do, now you know this. Many of you already knew it, but let's set the nail. Now you know this. I am not my own. I am not my own. I belong to him. Take your Bibles and go to one more passage. Romans chapter 14. So just go um, backwards to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 8. Well, uh, let me go to verse 7. For none of us lives to himself. None of us lives to himself. None of us simply dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live... Or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I am not my own. I belong to him. I am the Lord's. He, and therefore, all that I have belongs to him because I belong to him. We own nothing. So right now, in your mind, go home, pull out a piece of paper, write it. I just acknowledge I don't own anything. I'm a steward, not an owner. And I am owned by Jesus. And therefore, all that I have belongs to him. Why? Third principle. He gave it to you. He gave you your marriage, your children. Your job. He blessed the work of your hands. All that you have, he has given to you. All we have has been allocated to us by God. We, here's the fourth one. We are now accountable and called to be faithful. We are now accountable for those things he has given to us. And called to be faithful. And you remember what Paul said? What you think is done in the darkness is going to be brought to light. What you think is simply in the light is going to get more light. He is going to expose that which we are and what we've done. Now, is our salvation on the line? No, no. Jesus has secured our salvation. But our sanctification and our stewardship will be made evident on that day. We are, and on that day, we are called, we know that we're accountable, for the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat. Those who don't know Christ will be there to be judged in terms of sin and utter, and utter judgment and condemnation. Those who do know Christ that are written in the book of life, our judgment will be our stewardship and our sanctification. And I will be accountable, just like the parable of the talents, just like the parable of the meanness, that what I was given and allocated, I am accountable for how did I use it and what did I do with it. So let me give you the takeaway. 
Here's the takeaway. All right. Okay. Qualifier. This is not the last definition of Christian stewardship I'm going to give you. I've got a shorter version that we'll get to. Okay. This is a work. I know this is not a bumper sticker uh, uh, definition. This is our foundational definition. This is our working definition. I promise next Lord's Day, I'm going to have the motto definition, the shorter one that we'll be able to give in the elevator and remember. But this is the one that's comprehensive that I want you to get the foundational definition of Christian lifestyle stewardship. Here's what it is. The economy, here's what Christian lifestyle stewardship is. It is the economy of a gospel-shaped life that faithfully and productively invests all that God has allocated to us for His glory as directed by the Word of God and as enabled by the Spirit of God. Those are the basics I want to get covered with you. Christian stewardship is shaped by the gospel. Christian stewardship is not an effort to create a gospel. If I live good enough, I get saved. Christian stewardship is shaped by the gospel. The gospel is the foundation, the formation, and the motivation of every aspect of the Christian life. The gospel shapes my worship. The gospel shapes my stewardship. The gospel states my evangel- shapes my event. All of the contours of my life are shaped By the gospel of saving grace in Christ. I am working out what God by his grace is working in to my life. So it is shaped by the gospel. Let me let me give it to you the way one of the guys that discipled me years ago used to say, no, be do. This is not a new Star Wars character. No, be do. Know who you are in Christ. Be what you are for Christ, do what you do unto Christ. Don't do to be. Know who you are by the grace of God in Christ. Be who you are. I'm a steward. I'm a worshiper. I'm an evangelist. I'm an ambassador. I know who I am. And I'm assured. I'm assured that I am saved by God's grace. My stewardship, like everything else, is going to be uneven, imperfect, up, down, detoured, all of that. But I want to get on the journey. I want to be on the journey of growing stewardship. And it is the gospel that motivates me, the gospel that shapes me, the gospel that leads me, the gospel that fills me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I call to what I'm doing to the glory of God by the grace of God. That's what's in my life, a gospel-shaped life. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be faithful. And what am I supposed to do? I know, Harry, are you a capitalist? Yep, I am. Whatever he gave me, I want to invest it and use it and multiply it. And we're going to learn that. And so, Harry, how can you multiply little as much when God is in it? It's amazing what God will multiply with a couple of loaves and fishes. But good stewards, good stewards who are faithful and productive, investing what God has allocated to us. What I have, God gave me. He allocated it to me. Gave me my wife. He gave me my children. Gave me my calling. Gave me my ministry. Gave me my gifts. Gave me my experiences. He's given me all of those things. 
Now, will I faithfully use them? Will I productively use them as directed by the word of God? I don't go over there and contemplate my navel. What does it mean to be a Christian steward? I go to the Bible. What do I do? What does the Bible tell me to do with my responsibilities? What does the Bible tell me to do with my relationships? What does the Bible tell me to do with my resources? The Bible directs me in all of the arenas of my Christian stewardship. And then what and then but I can only do it by being enabled by the spirit of God. Folks, there's some great motivators. The gospel motivates you. The preeminence of Christ. Don't you love first? Don't you love? I'm sorry. Colossians chapter one, that in all things, Christ would have preeminence. That's stewardship. When I go to work, I want Christ to be preeminent. When I preach a sermon, I want Christ to be preeminent. When I parent, I want Christ to be preeminent. When I, uh, when I do a hobby, I don't want the hobby to be preeminent. I want Christ to be preeminent. Whatever it is, we want Christ to be preeminent. Let me give you another motivator. He's worth it. He's worth everything. All that I have. He is worthy of it. He not only gave it to me. He is worthy of me bringing it back to him. Another motivator is I'm going to be accountable. I remember when I'd go off to school and I'd get home, me and my three sisters have been thinking about this recently, obviously. I've been thinking about it, but when we get home from school, I mean, I'd be dead tired from practice or baseball, basketball, football, whatever it was. I'd get home. Ike, here's your list. And there'd be bullet points. Mop the floor. Clean off the table. Go check your bed. It wasn't done right. I, I can remember them. And some of them would be underlined. And I knew those are the ones that she would come home with a white glove inspection. Accountable. That I will be accountable for what I have used. Now, again, it's not my salvation that's at stake. But my stewardship will be tested. Can I give you another? Listen to this one. Can I give you another motivator? This is going to be fun. This is a great road trip. You're going to get, I mean, I got to talk to Johnny Bench, Pete Rose. You're going to get to talk to Jesus on this. You're going to get to talk with fathers and mothers in the faith that are going to help you through this. This is a great adventure This is a test that brings a testimony. Let me give you another motivator. This will fulfill your deepest desire. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to thine own name give glory. And here's your deepest desire. When you get to that judgment seat. And there are the talents and gifts and responsibilities and the things that God allocated. And by none of us will have ever been profitable. When all said and done, we're not profitable. But could we hear from Jesus? Well done. Good and faithful. Found faithful. Well done. Good and faithful servants. You've got some obstacles, folks. You really do have some obstacles. Let me give you a couple of obstacles. You've got these wonderful motivators, but you've got some obstacles. One is you, we consistently, every morning that I wake up, I know I got to kill my old man because every morning I keep wanting to take my life back for me. 
It's all about me, not all about being a steward. It's all about, for my master. It's all about me. I keep wanting to be master. I keep wanting to be the owner. I have to kill me every day. That's an obstacle. I'm the obstacle. Another obstacle I have is hard to be. Listen, listen. It's hard to be faithful as a steward with your job, your money, your marriage and your children. If your identity is your job, your money, your marriage and your children. If that's your life and that's your identity, if that's the idolatry of your life, that's what makes me who I am. You can never be a good steward of it. Now, it'll never fulfill. But as long as your identity is not Christ, then you can't be a steward for Christ. If your identity is your job, if your identity is your is your bank account, if your identity is your children, if your identity is your marriage, then you can never be one who brings the preeminence of Christ to everything. Another another obstacle, jealousy and envy. Well, he only gave me two talents. I think I should have gave me five. Listen, brothers and sisters, I love what Robertson McQuilkin said to my dear friend, Mike Ross. He said to him, he said, when Mike went to say, he said, you know, Pastor, he said, Dr. McQuilkin, I just got a problem. And, um, and Mike and I talked about this, this incipient jealousy that pastors can have. And here's what Dr. McQuilkin said. Oh, I love this guy. He was the president of Columbia Bible College and later university. And here's what he said. Look, guys. He said, if God gives this guy five drums to beat, go praise the Lord. If he gives you two drums to beat, you praise the Lord. You pray for him as he beat his five drums. And then you just go be the best two drum beater that's ever been living. If that's what God, don't envy the guy with five. Just go be a good two drum beater. And thank God for what he gave you. And be the best two, two drum beater that's ever existed. But don't get caught up in jealousy and envy. Let me just give you one more and I'm going to close in prayer. God has given you. Now, put this in the back of your mind. We're going to build on it. Can I give you another obstacle? Another obstacle are the training tools that God's given you for stewardship. Wait, Harry, say that again. Thank you. I did. I want to say it again. The training wheels. For, you know what a training wheel for stewardship is on resources? The tithe. You know what a training wheel is for the hours of a day and a day and a year and a life? The Sabbath. The Lord's Day. When you learn how to set aside one, that's foundational to setting aside all of life. When you learn how to set aside the tithe and the first fruits, then that's training wheels for everything. But if you don't see that as a training wheels for everything, but as the minimum to get by, then the training wheels become an obstacle. In other words, it's what one preacher called the 1090. God, I'm bringing you the tithe and the 90% is mine. God, I'm bringing you the Lord's day but the other six are mine. You just misused the training wheels. The tithe is there to acknowledge and affirm it's all from him and to him.
the Lord's day, the first day, the resurrection day is there to affirm the other six. I'm working for him. There he is. So don't let the instruments that God's given become the objective. They're the training wheels, as my friend Randy Alcorn says. They're the training wheels to help you in discipleship of, of being a good steward. You know, I was watching uh, this church at Independent Press and their overflow of love to us as a family. And I was so grateful. Uh, it was just amazing. But here's what I shared with them at the funeral. Folks, I want you to know our family is very deeply grateful for all that you've done. But here's what I want to tell you. The reason you're able to do what you've done. And by the way, the same thing's true of y'all from a distance in manifold ways. But the, the thing that allows a church at a moment of crisis to go to the next level is because they've already been doing it every day. The thing that allows us at the moment of opportunity in stewardship of our resources, our responsibilities and our relationships is we've already built it as a way of life. We are stewards. I own nothing. It belongs to him. He is worthy. And I am his. And he is mine. God. By your grace, may I be found faithful. Let's spend a few moments in prayer. As we started this journey today, however the Lord spoke to your heart from his word, would you take a few moments and for the praise of God's glorious grace, just have him be at work in your hearts. Stewards for Christ, found faithful, managing, using, overseeing our relationships for the preeminence of Christ. Our responsibilities in life for the preeminence of Christ. Our resources. All of these things he has allocated to us sovereignly. Using them. Because we own none of them. We're owned by him. Say, Pastor, I haven't taken that first step yet of being owned by Christ. And I know I'm a sinner and I want to turn from my sins and put my trust in him. Then today is a glorious day. That your life is stewarded by Christ and kept by Christ for all eternity. If you want to pray with someone, when we stand for the benediction, there will be those here at the front that you can come pray with. Or today you're here and stewardship has awakened within you a desire to pray with someone. Then come and pray with these folks. They're right here for you. Jesus, we come. Nothing in our hands do we bring, but to the cross we cling. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, for the praise of God.
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.